I want you to take your Bible and I want you to turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. I want to speak to you today on this subject, the real Christmas story. Experience Christmas is the title of the series that we're in right now. To really get the, the true feel for this special celebration that we call Christmas, we've got to move back to a time when Christmas had not been hijacked by Hallmark Christmas movies, by frantic shopping trips, and by endless Christmas parties. We've got to go back to the days leading up to the birth of Jesus when everything was raw and real. John MacArthur stated, there is nothing man-made about the Christmas story. It is the most miraculous, compelling narrative in history. As the Holy Spirit relates the dramatic story of Jesus Christ's birth, those who truly celebrate or experience Christmas do so by remembering the profound reality that God sent his only begotten son to die for the sins of all who put their faith in him. Today we're going to focus our attention on Mary. Now the first sermon in this series we focus our attention on Zacharias and Elizabeth. The second sermon last Sunday we focus on Joseph. But today we give all of our attention to Mary who was only 13 or 14 years old at the time when this this was written about her. Her family was poor. They lived in an obscure village called Nazareth, which was about 70 miles north of Jerusalem. Unlike Elizabeth, Mary had not been praying for a baby. She was betrothed to Joseph. They were in an engagement period. This was not the time to pray for a baby. This was the time for Mary to plan her wedding. That betrothal period would last about a year. And during that time, they were considered to be husband and wife, even though they were not living together. She was still living with her parents. He was preparing a home and a future for them together. I'm sure that Mary was thinking about the, um, the reception party that would last for a week after they were married, they came together. I'm sure she was thinking about her dress size. I'm sure she was thinking about all the stuff that a bride thinks about. But I guarantee you this, she was not planning on having a baby right at that moment. I promise you. Meanwhile, in heaven... God was getting ready for one of the greatest revelations the world had ever seen. For 400 years, there had been no dreams, there had been no visions, there had been no prophetic utterances. God had been strangely silent. But suddenly, the angelic ranks snapped to attention as God summoned Gabriel, one of his primary angels. Stunned silence must have gripped the, the angelic ranks as they listened to God's instructions to Gabriel. 
Gabriel received those instructions and he streaked through the heavens with a special message from God for the young woman by the name of Mary, the young woman that God had selected to be the mother of Messiah. My goodness, what a, what a moment that was. Let's pick up the story in Luke chapter one. Before we do, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can go to the Bible and we can read about the true, real story of Christmas. And I pray, Father, that you would allow us to embrace this real story of Christmas and to learn the lessons that you would have us to learn today and to apply them to our lives and to our experience of Christmas. Lord, we love you. And we ask through the Holy Spirit's ministry that you would do supernatural things in and through our lives today. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So Luke chapter one, look at verse 26 and 27. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. Now you gotta remember, when he's talking about the sixth month here, he's talking about the six months in relation to Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, whom God had blessed with a baby in her old age. So Elizabeth was six months along. John the Baptist was six months along in his development in the womb of Elizabeth. And the Bible says that in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David and the virgin's name was Mary. Now Nazareth was in reality a very obscure Jewish village. Uh, Nazareth is not even mentioned in the Old Testament. Josephus, a Jewish historian, never referred to Nazareth, not one time. At the time of Jesus, only 200 to 500 people resided in that village. And that village had a bad reputation. Take your Bible and just look for just a moment at John chapter one. John chapter one, John's gospel, chapter one. And I want you to look at verses 45 and 46. The Bible says that Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, listen to this, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Now that's the reputation of Nazareth. It was a God-forsaken little village. Nobody wanted to live in Nazareth. Nobody thought anything good could ever come out of Nazareth. But Nathaniel found out differently, didn't he? Amen. So here we are. and it, it, It's absolutely ironic that God would choose this humble village for his son to grow up in. Now Mary, as I said earlier, was betrothed to Joseph who was a descendant of David. That, that's not a little throwaway phrase. That's a very important prophetic indicator for us. 
Now, this betrothal would last for one year. And during that time, the couple would get ready for marriage. They would be sexually pure. And their, their relationship would be legally binding. The only way to break a Jewish betrothal was through either death or divorce. They were anticipating the great wedding feast that would last for a, an entire two weeks. Only then would the marriage be consummated. Look in Luke chapter 1, verses 28 to 30. And coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, we learned last week that Joseph was visited by Gabriel in a dream. But I want you to understand that right here with Mary, the Bible says that Gabriel broke in, intruded into her day. Was she sweeping the floor? Was she preparing dinner? Was she washing clothes? I, I don't know. But the Bible says that Gabriel appeared to her and she was wide awake. Verse 29, but she was very perplexed at this statement. Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. And she kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Gabriel delivered the most significant birth announcement this world has ever seen. He delivered a birth announcement about the coming of Messiah, the birth of Messiah, the Savior of the world. He wanted her to know that she was a recipient of God's grace. In fact, that's what it means when he said favored one. You've received favor from God. That's a word for grace. Now, when it comes to Mary, many in our culture today either idolize her or ignore her. As the mother of our Lord, she deserves our profound respect, but not our worship. Let me repeat that. Do you remember what Elizabeth said when Mary came in after the Holy Spirit had brought the, the seed of Messiah into her womb? Elizabeth said, behold, the mother of our Lord. Now, Elizabeth respected Mary, but she didn't worship Mary. And I'll tell you what, nobody on this earth today should worship Mary. We should respect her and revere her, but not worship her or pray to her. Now, let's hit the pause button for just a moment. A.W. Tozer made this statement. Anything God has done, he can do now. Anything God has ever done anywhere, he can do here. Anything God has ever done for anyone, he can do for you. Now, there's some good news in that. I want you to know, regardless of who you are, regardless of your background in life, you can be a recipient of God's grace. You can receive the favor of God in your life. That's good news, isn't it? That means that God wants to save you through his grace. By the way, that's the only way you'll ever be saved. It's by grace through faith in Christ alone that we are saved, that we are forgiven of our sins. 
But not only does God want to save you, he wants to use you for his glory. You say, Pastor, God could never use me in any significant way. And I beg to differ with you. God can use you in ways that you never dreamed, thought, or imagined. God can use you by his grace. This brings us in our story here in Luke chapter one to what I call a theological summit. I'm telling you, it is something. God reveals a plan of redemption to this young virgin lady by the name of Mary. I want you to see it here. Luke's genealogy of Jesus records his ancestry through his mother, Mary. Remember, Matthew records his genealogy through the lens of Joseph, okay? So listen to this. Jesus inherited from his adoptive father, Joseph, the legal right to David's throne. While his physical descent from David came from his mother, Mary, who was of the tribe of David also, in every legitimate sense, both legally and physically, Jesus Christ was the son of David, born to be Israel's true king. And the scriptures want us to understand that today. The scriptures want us to make sure that there is no doubt in our mind as to the veracity of the fact that Jesus, the Messiah, is the king of Israel. He is the only savior of the world. All of this is in direct fulfillment to Old Testament prophecy. In Luke chapter one, verse 31 to 33, the Bible says, and behold, here's Gabriel speaking to, to Mary still. And he says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Gabriel summarized the entire ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, including his saving work, his righteous life, his deity, his humanity, his resurrection, his ascension, his glorious return, and his kingdom rule right here in these brevity of words. He said, you shall name him Jesus. That's exactly what the angel told uh, Joseph also. Did Mary's heart and mind grasp the true significance of that name, Jesus? Several years ago, the Jews for Jesus took out a full page ad in the USA Today with this Christmas message. Full page. The Messiah has come and his name is Yeshua, Jesus, God saves. That's what the name means. God saves. You can't save yourself. You can't happen to have more good works and bad works and, and work your way or, or weasel you your way into heaven. Listen, if God doesn't save you, you will not be saved. That's what the name Jesus means. Amen. Jesus said, the son of man, in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. But not only did Gabriel 
revealed that Jesus should be, uh, should be his name, but he also revealed that he will be great. He'll be great. Now we get our word mega from this Greek word here that was used in the text. John Piper wrote this about Jesus. Jesus is 10 million times greater in every respect than the greatest men and women history has produced. If you took all of the greatest thinkers of every country and every century of the world and put them in a room with Jesus, they would shut their mouths and listen to the greatness of his wisdom. There is nothing that Jesus cannot do a thousand times better than the person you admire most in any area of human endeavor under the sun. Why, if we were to take this idea of the greatness of Jesus and search through the English language for all of the superlative adjectives available to us, we would exhaust the English language. There's no way we could properly describe the greatness of Jesus with our language today. In Ephesians chapter one, verse 21, Paul wrote these words, Jesus is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He will be great. He will be called Jesus, God saves. And then the, the Gabriel revealed to Mary that he will be called the son of the most high. This amazing child that Mary would give birth to would be God in human flesh, perfect in every way. In Hebrews chapter one, verse three, the writer of Hebrews said, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And then Gabriel revealed this. He said, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Jesus' role as Israel's Messiah King is in view here. Now, can you imagine this 13 to 14 year old young Jewish virgin taking all of this theological uh, emphasis into her heart and trying to, to grasp it and understand it. Uh, the greatest theological minds in the world that has ever lived would still be pondering these, this revelation that Gabriel brought from God. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, Gabriel said. In fact, Jesus will be the final Davidic king, the Messiah who will reign forever and ever. And, and then the final revelation from, from God that Gabriel gave to Mary, his kingdom will never end. I'll tell you, friend, one day the United States of America will be no more. Rome is no more. Greece is no more. The great kingdom of Greece the Medo-Persians are no more. The Babylonian empire is gone. One day, England and, and France and all the great nations of the world will be in the dust. But I'll tell you, the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will last forever and ever and ever. Mm. Pardon me if I get fired up, okay? In 
In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we saw it on the screen a moment ago. We sang it. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. In Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14, written about 500 years before this event with Mary, Daniel wrote these words, I kept looking in the night visions and behold the clouds of heaven, like one like a son of man was coming and he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion, glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. That's a prophecy of the coming Christ, the coming Messiah, the coming King and his wonderful kingdom. Then in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, the Bible says, and the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Amen. That's a lot of truth for a 13 to 14 year old virgin Jewish girl to take in. But this mountain of truth is for you and me also. Amen. It's for us. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the eternal king. He is the Lord of Lords and he will come again. I promise you, he will come again and he will rule and reign over God's eternal kingdom forever and ever and ever. And I ask you this question, have you received the grace of God? Has your sins been forgiven? Have you been saved? Have you become a part of his kingdom through faith and repentance? In Acts chapter four, verse 12, Peter wrote this after Jesus had resurrected from the dead and ascended to heaven. He said, and there is salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven that's been given among men by which we must be saved. How you respond to Jesus in this life determines where you will spend eternity. My friend, you will not go to heaven on your own righteousness. You will not go to heaven on your own religious ability. You will not go to heaven because your good works outweigh your bad works. The only way you will ever go to heaven is when you realize that you're a sinner in need of a savior and you fall on your face before the living Christ and you say, Lord, save me. Only he can save you. I can't save you. No priest can save you. Only Jesus can save you. Mary's reaction was priceless. Look at verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? She was perplexed. The concept of a pregnant virgin was incomprehensible to her. It was an impossibility, a contradiction in terms. Once again, this was a fulfillment 
of Old Testament prophecy, which Isaiah had recorded 700 years before this, this event took place. In Isaiah 7, 14, the Bible says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son and she will call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Now Gabriel went on to explain how the, the miracle of the virgin birth would take place. In verse 35 of Luke chapter one, the angel answered and said to her, remember she said, how can this be? I just don't understand. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. A lot of people have tried to delve into the virgin birth and try to extract from the virgin birth all that was intended for us to understand. But I want you to understand something. Just like Jesus dying on the cross is shrouded in mystery as, as he became sin for us that we might become the righteous of God in him. I want to tell you the virgin birth is shrouded in mystery. We'll never be able to understand all of the details of the virgin birth. But yet, my friend, we must believe in the virgin birth. We must believe in the atoning death of Christ on the cross. We must not let the mystery shroud our faith. We must believe. Let me ask you, how in the world could Jesus avoid the sin nature that is a part of every human heart? How? The Bible says in, in Psalm 130, 139 that we are conceived in sin. We're conceived in sin. I believe that's Psalm 51, excuse me. We're conceived in sin. We have a sin nature. But here's the answer. The only way the Son of God could avoid having a sin nature was that God himself would plant the embryo of the son of God in the virgin womb of Mary. He was the son of God, not the son of Joseph, the, the, the natural son of Joseph. He was sinless from conception. Look at verses 36 and 37. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month for nothing will be impossible for God. It's, it's like God in his marvelous infinite grace threw out a lifeline to Mary and said, Mary, let me help you believe. Let me strengthen your faith. You, do you remember your cousin Elizabeth? She's old. She's way past childbearing age. And Zacharias is way past child, child developing age. And I want you to understand something, Mary. She's pregnant. She's pregnant. And let me tell you, Mary understood what an impossibility that was. And I tell you what, it strengthened her faith. It's like the Holy Spirit said, I'm going to give you something to help you here, Mary. And it was a wonderful blessing of God 
that God would do that for her. Absolutely nothing is impossible with God. Let me ask, do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Do you believe that God could use you in ways that you've never even considered? I'll be honest with you. If you had told me when I was 18 years old that I'd be a pastor, I'd say, man, you've lost your mind. But you know what? God had a different script for me and Darlene, a totally different script. And at the age of 29 slash 30, he made that script very real to us. And we had a choice to make. Were we going to go by his script or were we going to go by our script? And I thank God to this day that we said, Lord, We'll do it your way because your way is always the best way. And that's exactly what happened to Mary right here in our story. Now look at verse 38, very important verse. And Mary said, behold, the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. In other words, Lord, I'll I'll take your script over my script and the angel departed from her. Mary acknowledges that she is a bond slave of God, which means that she is devoted to God's plan and his purpose for her life. Do you know what that meant for her? It it meant that no longer her dreams of a a beautiful wedding, her, her dreams of a wonderful marriage to Jesus and them having a, a family together. No longer was that a reality for her. You know what God's saying to her? With my script, Mary, people in Nazareth are going to think you slept around on your, the, the man that you committed your life to. Mary, in my script, you're not going to be a very popular person in Nazareth. In my script, Mary... Joseph might even divorce you. He may leave you. But you know what she said? She said, Lord, I'm your bond slave. You get to call the shots. And I choose to follow you. I choose to submit to you in my life in every single way. Her will was totally swallowed up in the will of God. By the way, that's the way it's intended for every one of us to be. If you're a born-again believer, that's exactly what God expects out of us. In Mark 10, 45, the Bible says of Jesus, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8, the Bible says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Mary said, I'm a bondservant. Jesus said, I'm a bondservant. 
And the scripture says that's the same attitude that we should have in ourselves as believers. If we really want to experience Christmas, we have to humbly submit our lives, our plans, and our will to God. To put it simply, we must serve the Lord. We must serve the Lord. Mary offered her body to God as a living and holy sacrifice. Let me ask you a question. When we study about Zacharias and Elizabeth and how they experienced Christmas, we learned that if we're really going to experience Christmas, we've got to trust the Lord. We've got to have faith. And then when we studied Joseph last week, we learned if we're really going to experience Christmas, we've got to obey the Lord. We've got to do the hard things the difficult things, even the things that have stigmas attached to them. And then finally from Mary, we learn if we're really going to experience Christmas, we've got to serve the Lord. Trust the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Have you trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Have you? Your eternal destiny rides on what you do with Jesus. And if you're in this room today or watching by live stream and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, I, I want to say to you, I encourage you, do it today. Repent of your sin. Turn from your sin. Turn from doing it your way. Place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. In just a moment, I'm going to ask our staff to come, our worship team to come, and we're going to worship together. And I'm going to invite many of you who have never trusted Jesus to come to one of our staff members and just tell them today, today, I want to trust Jesus as my Savior and Lord, in fact, I'm going to ask our worship team, our staff to come. Here's the first question you've got to answer. Have you trusted Jesus as your Savior, Lord? This is your opportunity today. If you really want to experience Christmas, it starts with believing in Jesus. And then second question is this. Are you willing to obey the Lord? He may be calling you to do some things that's difficult for you to, to say yes to. Hey, it was difficult for Joseph. I mean, as far as he knew, Mary had cheated on him. But Gabriel said, hey, Joseph, what is in Mary's womb has been put there by the Holy Spirit of God. She's still a virgin. And you know what he did? He obeyed God and he took Mary as his wife. And he raised Jesus as his adopted son. Will you obey the Lord? If you want to experience Christmas, you got to obey the Lord. And then finally, will you serve the Lord? Will you say to him, Lord, my script means nothing to me anymore. I want your script for my life. Now I'll tell you, he can upset your life. He can change the script. He can call an audible just like that. And he has every right and the authority to do so. 
Are you willing to say, Lord, not my way, but Lord, your way. I'll serve you however you want me to serve you. He may be calling you to be a pastor. He may be calling you to share the gospel with a friend who lives across the street. He may be calling you to be a missionary, to be a staff member. He may be calling you. Are you ready today to say, Lord, I'll serve you no matter what you want me to do? Just lay your your heart on the altar and say, Lord, whatever you want, that's what I want. And let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that through the Spirit's ministry, you would touch hearts and change lives today. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and let's worship and you come as a Lord.